Let's get started. I want you to grab your Bibles and open it up to Ruth chapter 3. How many of you have uh, searching on the internet, looking online, watching social media reels and posts and all that stuff? Have you ever come across a guy who has an Australian accent and he has no arms and no legs? All right. This guy's name is Nick. I can't say his last name, but it starts with a V. Vujicic. There you go. Thank you, Lord, for people who know how to pronunciate things, because I don't. This man has no arms and no legs. He was born in 1982 with a rare disorder called Tetra Amelia Syndrome. It is the syndrome that does not allow you to have limbs. So this is a man who's just a, a torso, pretty much. And imagine the kind of life that this man would have lived, has lived, what his encounters and experience will be in life. Imagine those parents looking at that child and, and just like trying to perceive and understand everything that is going to come before this child. He grew up facing immense physical and emotional challenges because of his condition. He experienced bullying of all sorts. He was hit with depression in many ways. And due to his condition, he struggled with feelings of hopelessness and worthlessness. Some of us, we've got all our limbs, but we know exactly what this man's going through because there's been difficulties and challenges and issues and all those things, and we've found ourselves in places where depression and bullying, struggle and challenge has hit home. But yet, when you listen to Nick's testimony and story, he'll tell you that despite his difficulties, his faith in God remained strong. Somebody say amen. He credits his parents, his friends, his faith community who celebrated him. Man, this all connects this morning. They all supported him, loved on him, encouraged him in his darkest moments and through their kindness, through their compassion, through their words of affirmation, Nick gradually gained a new perspective on life. And that new perspective is what has allowed some of you to even find him on social media and Facebook. He has touched the lives of millions of people despite his situation. See, here's the main point of our time here together this morning. All right? I want you to get this right from the outset. God uses people to help change lives. All right, did you get it? God uses people to change lives. You believe that? God uses people to change lives. Sometimes he will use us to change the lives of those around us. And sometimes he will bring others into our lives to change our very lives. Is it not the truth? Say amen. In either case, our greatest task in the process is to be attentive to what God is doing and respond with gratitude. That, that's the goal. That's the objective. So I want you to make your way to Ruth chapter 3. We've been looking at a series called Loyal Love. And today I want to speak to you under this title, Loyal Love, It's About People. It's through people. You pick your, your title. I'll give you two options. Loyal Love, It's Through People. Are you there? Say amen. All right. We're going to start reading in chapter three, but if you haven't been with us, then that means in the last two weeks you weren't here, you, you missed chapter one and chapter two. So you, you're going to come into this thing kind of like in the middle. And you don't have the context. So let me give you some context before we start reading. Uh, this is a book of the Bible that opens up during the time of Israel's judges. It's a time and a season when everybody is doing what seems right in their own eyes. And they're not following after God. They go through moments of intense passion for God and obedience. And then they think that they know better. They got this. And they turn away from him. And because of that, 
they get themselves into trouble. Judgment comes. Issues arise. Pain and sorrow, depression, all sorts of things. So the book of Ruth centers on four characters. Four main characters. There are others, but... Um, so it starts off where a famine in the land of Israel, in the land of Judah, causes a man by the name of Elimelech to leave that place with his wife Naomi and go to the other side of the Dead Sea, where today is the country of Jordan. And they go there to this land called Moab to seek some bread, to get some food, because the crops are growing there, but they're not growing due to the famine back home. So this family leaves, along with their two sons, and they set off. Their both sons marry Moabite women, Ruth and Orpah. By ten years into their journey there, all of the men die. Elimelech dies, his son Malian dies, his son Kilian dies, and all that's left now are three widows. Who's left? Three widows. Naomi. Ruth and Orpah, not Oprah, Orpah. In that society, widows, especially widows without children, without sons, they were completely destitute, desperate, without recourse, no hope, no future. Their lives are going to stink. And so Naomi says, I'm leaving this place. I heard that God is blessing Judah where we came out of. You know, I've been here. My, my husband's dead. My sons are dead. I got nothing left to, to give. I'm going back home. I'm not going to live in a group of foreigners. I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going home. I'm going back. God, maybe, 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 maybe something will change in my circumstance there, although I doubt it. I left full. I'm going back empty. I have nothing. She says to her two daughters-in-law, Ruth and Orpah, you stay back here. There's no point in you coming back with me. I got no more sons to give you. Even if I were to get married and get pregnant today, you know what? I can't give you new children that you can now marry. So just go back home. Go to your mom. Go to your dad. Go to your family. Start worshiping your own gods again. You know, go back to your own culture, all that stuff. Orpah says, sure, no problem. Sayonara. Ruth says, no. Where you go, I go. Where you stay, I stay. Your God will be my God, and nothing but death will separate us. It's an incredible statement. It's an incredible declaration. So both women set out with bleak prospects for a new life in Judah. Things don't look good for them. They arrive back in Judah just as the barley harvest is starting. For all you farmers out there, you know what I mean? For non-farmers, they're, they're coming in at the right time. Let's just say that. They got there right when the, the harvest is beginning and the season is starting. So there's going to be one crop after another crop, and hopefully there's going to be some hope for these women. Ruth gets to work as the sole provider. She gets on the welfare system of the day where they were supposed to leave the edges of the fields unharvested so that the poor, the widowed, the destitute could come in and get the scraps, the leftovers, that which the workers dropped. They could take that and have something to eat. Ruth gets to work. Naomi stays behind. And it just so happens by chance or by God's providence that she ends up in the field of a wealthy landowner. And this man's name is Boaz. He has lots of workers. His field is plentiful. And that's where she ends up working. Do you have an idea of what's happening now? Say amen. All right, let's go. Let's start reading. Ruth chapter 3, verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, her being Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. And we'll stop right there. Father, I recognize that you are in this place and that you're with this people. Father, I pray that you would just speak to us today, that your Holy Spirit would anoint my words to bring, Lord God, a message of hope and clarity to your church. Father, I know that in this place there are men and women who need 
to be encouraged in their relationship with you. There are also people here that may not have a relationship yet. And Father, I pray that today, given a chance, they will begin or restart a relationship with you. Father, I am also aware that in this place, there are people who need to make a decision to get connected with a church family. So that, Father, together we can grow and move forward and, and uncover and raise ourselves to the potential that you want us to live in as iron sharpens iron. Father, I pray that today no person will walk away saying, maybe this isn't the church, but they'll say, Lord, this is the place you brought me to. This is where I'm going to journey with. Father, I pray that as people hear these words, your words, that God, they would realize that they are not, Lord Jesus, victims, but that they are, Father, overcomers by your grace, that you have a plan and a purpose, and that you will fulfill your promise in every life. And if you believe that, say amen, amen, amen. Friends, we got a faith declaration. Can we say that right before? Do you guys have that available? If you don't, that's all good. I know I didn't prep you guys there before, so no worries. It's all right. We'll just move forward from that. Here's the point. Perk up. Get ready. Because the applied word of God is what changes our lives. Amen? Oh, it's right up there. Ready? You want to say it together? Let's say it together. One, two, three. The applied word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim, pursue, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is my proof. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, let's jump into this thing here. Loyal love is through people. What do I want us to start putting in the forefront of our minds right from the get-go? As we look at verse 3, notice with me what it says. Naomi is speaking to Ruth, and she says, hey, daughter-in-law, now do as I tell you. Take a bath, put on some perfume, and dress in your nicest clothes. Then go to the threshing floor. Park it right there. Go take a bath. Put on some perfume. Get dressed. Sounds like Naomi is calling for Ruth's makeover. Sounds like, hey, you need to get a makeover, girl. Like, there is something not quite right with your look. Let's get you all dolled up. Let's get you all did and, and nice and perfect and, and, and attractive. Let's clean yourself up because you got to go hunting for a new man. Anybody came to the right church service this morning? You looking for a man? Nobody? Guys looking for a gal? <clears throat> this message is for you. Let's turn some heads, Naomi is saying to Ruth. Oh, I got some waves here. Got some single men down front, guys. Just saying. <clears throat> let's go turn some heads, Ruth. Let's go attract some, some attention. Sounds like a page being taken out of some of these gym goers' playbook nowadays, no? Anybody go to the gym lately? Anybody look on social media? I don't understand why all the videos of people pumping iron is all about. Like, I just don't get it. Like, I don't look good when I'm doing that. You know, I'm like grunting and, and, and sweating and things are not fun. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of frustration. But some people like to put a camera on all that action. No problem. I don't get it. When I see some of these videos, I'm thinking, man, I don't understand. Are you here to exercise or flaunt your assets? I mean, biceps. You, you know what I mean, right? Never mind. Are we okay? You guys glad you came to church this morning? We're going to get a little shallow today. Is that all right? We're going to talk about some real deals here today, okay? I mean, let's get practical with this. She says, hey, girl, you need a makeover. Go take a bath. Go put on some perfume. Get dressed. Hit the town. Get out of here. 
Go, go, go out there. So you stop and you start wondering, like, what is it that Ruth is being told by Naomi in this place? Is she just telling her to go along with the culture? Is she just saying, hey, lean in to the reality of the days that we're living in? There's a lot of immorality happening. So much so that we talked about last week. Boaz said to her, stay with my fields, among my women, among my young men. Why? Because I've told the young men not to touch you. Because out in the fields, in that tall grass, in that tall wheat, in that tall barley, it was very easy for a young, hormone-driven young man to take advantage of a single lady out there in the field. So what is it that Naomi is telling her daughter-in-law? Well, for starters, she says, go get dressed. The word for dress in the Hebrew here is a word called simla. It refers to the outer garment, check this out, that covered your entire body except your face. So some of us who are taking our cue from the videos of the gym goers, this is not what she's saying. She's not saying flaunt your assets. She is saying, go get dressed with your outer garment and go out. Take a bath. Put some perfume on. She is not telling her, look, I want you to flaunt what your mama gave you. I don't want you to put it all on display like it's painted on. I want you to put that big bulky outer garment and go out. In other words, she's using language that we're going to find later on in the scriptures, and maybe you haven't paid attention to this yet, but this is the very same thing that we see in the life of King David. He's going through a difficulty. God has judged him for sin that he has perpetrated on purpose. God said to him, hey, look, because of your sin, the child whom your concubine is carrying will not survive. What does David do? He puts on sackcloth. He takes his outer garments off. He goes into a state of fasting and intercession. He prays hard, and he just tries to move the hand of God and change the outcome of his circumstance. And while that child is in that woman's womb, and, and, and there is still hope and opportunity for something to change, David is crying out before God, fasting, praying, seeking, hoping maybe something can be different. I was wrong. I, I incurred this on myself. I brought sorrow and suffering into my home. But God, I'm just going to do everything within my own power to come before you in mourning. And then when the Bible tells us, when that child dies, just as God has said it was going to happen, David gets up. He washes. He puts on some perfume. He anoints himself. He goes and he eats. He gets dressed and he goes about life. What? So what Naomi is saying here at the very outset, I want you to understand, is that she is telling Ruth, Ruth, your time and your season of mourning is done. I want you to step out of your current status. You're in the status of widowhood. You're in the status of mourning your late husband, my son, Malian. He is gone. He is dead. He's not coming back. And so, Ruth, now it is time for you to move on with life. Life goes on. Go take a bath. Go anoint yourself. Go get dressed and hit the town. What she is saying is, I want you to step out. Why? Because God will use people to pull us out of our status. God is using Naomi to pull Ruth out of her status of widowhood, out of her status of being a single person who is mourning and grieving and sorrowful and in you know, turmoil because of her circumstance. He, she is calling her into a new phase of life. Are you getting this? Amen. Make sure you smell good. Make sure you look your best. Because, Ruth, there still is life ahead of you. 
How many have found that in the midst of your darkest, bleakest moment, you kind of look around and you think there is no beyond this moment. There is no life after this. I could care less about tomorrow because all I can see is today. There is nothing that is in front of my eyes that draws me and pulls me to that. All I see is this mountain, this problem, this immigration issue, this broken marriage, this challenge with my health. I don't see a way out. All I see is this moment, yet God sends people to pull us out of our status. Ruth, get up. There's something for you to do. It may well be that Ruth, up to this moment, as she's going out in the fields every single day, she is still wearing her widow's clothes. Her widower's clothes. She is wearing that garment that everybody sees, everybody notices. Oh, that's a woman in mourning right there. That lady right there, oh, she had a husband. He died, man. Oh, I feel so bad for her. Let's pray for her. Let's encourage her. But hey, she, she's not available. She's not on the market. Like, that, let's leave her alone. Let's respect what she's going through. Let's encourage her and let's see her and meet her and deal with her within her status. Let's approach her and acknowledge and engage with her status. Yet God sends Naomi, to pull Ruth out of her status. It's not about let's become focused on the appearances. But it's about let's get out of your current condition. And as a side note on that, I want you to think about this. Every single day, Boaz sees this woman on his fields. It's been several weeks by now. And he sees her wearing the clothes of a person who's mourning, who lost the husband. It's all the news that he needs. She is not available. It might explain some of his inertia to approach her and to take the next steps. He is a man who is honorable, who would never intervene and interject or impose himself on a woman who is grieving, on a person who has suffered loss, on a person who is not ready. He would not force himself on that or do any of those shady dealings. Why? Because he's a man of noble character. And sidebar, what did Boaz praise in Ruth? If you remember from last week, when he approaches her and has a conversation with her, what does he say? He says, hey, your kindness precedes you. And I, I told you, if you can pick anything to go before you, before you ever show up in a room, let people talk about you. And when you arrive, they confirm what they have been saying. Let that thing be kindness. Let that thing be your virtue. Don't let that thing be your appearance and your looks and your assets. Boaz recognized her nobility and her character and her virtue for having sacrificed to honor her late husband, to honor her mother-in-law. She forsook her own family and land and went with Naomi to a land where she would forever be a foreigner to worship a God that is entirely different to her to be part of a culture that is not her own. She did all of that, and God honored her. Boaz honored her. He saw that. Both of them possessed this quality and caliber of honor, of nobility. He would not compromise her in any way. And she already demonstrated her noble character. So as a side note, let me just say, all you single folks, you attract what you are. You attract who you are. I don't know why he's so shallow, just cares about appearance. Is that all that you're giving? You know, she only cares about, you know, me shopping and buying this out. Is that all you're offering? Is that all you're promising? Is that all that you're putting on the table? Or are you bringing something of character and nobility to the table? You attract what you are. I don't know why. I just pick up the wrong people. They always have the wrong characteristics. I just seem to attract myself to the wrong people, and, and they got a whole bunch of drama, and I got a whole bunch of baggage that I'm holding on to. Uh, you attract what you are. That, that, that cuts right here. Cuts right here. Father, what is it that you're asking me to bring to the table? Her noble character was on the inside. First Peter 3, 4. 
do not pursue outward beauty, but inward beauty. Yeah, we need the inward beauty. We need the nobility, the character, the integrity, the virtue. And that will be noticed by other people. And there is nothing wrong with looking good and smelling good and, and, and being of good appearance on the outside. But let's just be honest. Ladies, let me speak for the men right now. Men are visual in nature. To deny that is to deny the reality that you are emotional in nature. And that you care about having your emotions met. Guys care about appearances because God wired us that way. We will notice something. Now, guys, that does not mean that we get a pass to notice everything and keep noticing and ruminate on the noticing. You know what I mean? The bird can fly by, but whether the bird builds a nest on your head, that's your choice. But I can't deny, if I say, you know what, no, no, don't worry about appearances. If it's nice to look at, guys are going to look at. That, that's the reality of it. Then they got to check their hearts and have some nobility. So we're just being real, just being practical here today. So what is she saying? Naomi is saying to Ruth, life goes on. Take off your mourning. Put on life again. Put on opportunity once more. Have a different outlook. Get back into the swing of things. Why are you still wearing your morning clothes? And some of us here this morning, I might say, why are we wearing our morning clothes? Not morning in the morning, a.m., p.m., but morning, like crying, sorrowful. Why are we still stuck in that place of sorrow and brokenness? And we're going to stay there forever. God wants to bring people into our lives. It's going to challenge us to step out of that and go beyond. I've taken way too long to explain this one point, so let's move on. God used Moses to pull a people out of slavery. God used Joseph to pull his family out of famine. God used a whole bunch of different people in the same way God is going to use your friend, your pastor, your neighbor, your colleague, your boss, your enemy to pull you out of your status and say, look, life goes on. Step up, step in, move forward. Number two, look at verse three and four. Naomi is still speaking here. She says, then go to the threshing floor, but don't let Boaz see you until he has finished eating and drinking. Be sure to notice where he lies down, and then go and uncover his feet and lie down there. He will tell you what to do. Just, just think about that for a second. Think about the advice that you're getting. How many of you already listening to that, you're just like, is this something you would tell your daughters? Just let me show of hands. How many moms are here? Dad, dads, I got to talk to the dads. I got a, I got a baby girl. I would never say this to my daughter. No. I don't want you to go get dressed, get dolled up, smell good, look good, get out of the house, find some dude, stalk him, climb into his house like a stealth ninja, watch him fall asleep. Don't show him that you're there. And then when he finally knocks out, Take the blankets off his feet. Hopefully he took a shower and they smell good. But you know what? Take the blankets off and lay down by his feet. I would never tell my daughter to do this. This is weird. This is, makes no sense whatsoever. It's ridiculous. At least it's ridiculous to the unexperienced, to the unaccustomed foreigner that Ruth is. She's not aware of the culture. She doesn't understand the times. It's foolishness to us who hear this, removed from time and culture. We don't understand because we don't live in those days. Things work a little bit different now. Now you swipe left and right, right? Is that what you do? I don't know. I didn't do that. That was, before, that was after my time. Um, but anyways, to the person who's stuck in a rut, to the person who is trapped in a mindset, advice from a seasoned counselor may not seem obvious. And so here's the reality that I want to bring to you. For Proverbs says this, walk with the wise and become wise. God will use people to pull us out of our heads. Say heads. God will use people to take us out of our own reasoning, to take us out of our own ways of logically thinking through something. Because we think we've got the logic, but we may not.
truly understand the culture. We think we know the ins and outs of this, but we are truly on the outside, unexperienced, and we don't know the right way to go. And so walk with the wise, and you become wise. Naomi is a seasoned woman, both in culture, because she's Jewish, and she understands what is about to happen here, and also in marriage. She had two kids. She is the mother-in-law to do two daughters-in-law. This woman has had longevity in marriage. She has some experience. So she's saying, Ruth, get out of your head. Stop trying to make logical sense of this thing. You know what? I'm telling you, it may sound weird, but just go do it. Trust me, it's going to be all right. Just go. To which she does. Trust the one who has attracted the thing that you're looking for. Which makes me think, I don't understand on a practical note, Single ladies, single guys, uh, you know, why do we do this? Why do you try to figure out the opposite sex by talking to all your other single friends of the same sex and gender? You know, single ladies, you're like, you know, I just don't understand. Man, they do this, they do that. I don't, I don't know why he ghosted me and this and that happened. You know, let, let's go get coffee and lunch and brunch and let's all talk about it and figure out this enigma called men. And guys, you all get together and you're like, you know what, let's go read that book that talks about all women. You know, what men know about women. It's got nothing in it. Because we don't know nothing. Why don't you go and get one that has already picked up that which you are looking for? Why don't you go, ladies, find a woman who has been married for a while and happily married at that and ask her, how does this thing work, this thing called a man? What is it that they like? How is it that they behave? Can you explain this weird thing that they do right here? Because I just don't understand it. Oh, yeah, let me tell you about this. They, they'll do this, but when they do this, it's about that. And, and, and they do this because of this. And you know what? If you just treat him this way, when he does that, you'll get this, and, and this will work. Why don't you go ask somebody who already has it, who's figured it out? She's saying, hey, look, trust me. I've been around the block. I know how things work. And I want you to go. There's some bizarre things that they'll do, things that they'll say. But you know what? It's going to work. What does she say? Hey, look good. Smell good. Why? Because men are visual in nature. That's going to be good for you. So nothing wrong there. But then look at what she says. Hey, don't approach him until after he's eaten and drank something. And he's good. And he's satisfied. And he's fulfilled. In other words, when he gets home, don't hit him with the list. Men are better when they're satisfied. When their stomach isn't growling, they can hear with their ears. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? She's saying, look, I, I've been around this. I've experienced this a little bit. Hey, do this. Don't unload on him when he walks. You know what? The washer isn't spinning. The kid's got in a fight today. And you know what? The dog has fleas. Welcome home, honey. I'm going to go for a vacation in the driveway in the car. See you later. Bye. <laughs> That's what he's thinking. That's what he wants. But you know what she says? Hey, wait till he's done eating. Wait till he's like, he's worked all day. He's, he's busy. He's, so, you know, I'm giving the example of guys because that's who I am. My wife is home with the kids who are sick today, so she's not here to give you her side. So, ladies, just check in with her later on. She'll tell you the weirdness of what you need to know about these dudes. Um, and so um, the bottom line is go get somebody who's gone through it, who knows it, who's experienced it. Walk with the wise and you will become. We need people in our lives that will take us out of our heads. Einstein says, hey, to solve a problem, you need a mind that it, not the same mind that created the problem. You need to get a different perspective. The Bible shows how 12 spies had a perspective to give to Moses in a report. 10 of them came with a bad perspective, but yet two showed something positive. There was a different mindset within those men. They were willing and open to see something from a different perspective. And so the reality is we need people to pull us out of our heads. It's not possible if we just stay the way that we are within our heads. I remember when I was going through a very difficult time in my life that I had thought I figured this whole marriage thing out and, and, and God humbled me because I chose incorrectly and you know, I was not the man that I needed to be. It takes two to tangle. I was not the man that I needed to be. And so that marriage fell apart. And I was going through betrayal and, and hurt and pain and sorrow and a lot of 
uh, you know, brokenness in my life. Depression hit me and all that stuff. And then, you know, I came to church one day and I went to a prayer meeting and it was just a few people. I'll never remember. We were in the all-purpose room, the same room we're inviting you to go to growth track. So mark your calendars next month, go to the growth track. So here's the deal. Um, I was in there. God speaks to this preacher, the pastor who was leading the prayer. He says, you stay here after service. I want to talk to you. And then God started revealing things to her about my life and my status, what I was going through, the hurt that I was experiencing. And God utilized her. Why? Because she had also gone through divorce and gone through the pain and the sorrow of a betrayal of infidelity and different things. And God started using her to speak to me. And I did not like it one bit because I was in my head. I was in my mind thinking that I know better. That lady hurt me. I will never see her again. I don't want to think about her. I don't want her in front of me. And you know what? She did this to me. But yet, what did I do to her, right? It wasn't, wasn't registering. All I could feel was my pain, my bitterness, my sorrow, my anger, my frustration. And yet here's a woman who was exemplifying love, joy, who had a hope and a future, who wasn't living in her status of brokenness and divorce, but yet had a positive outlook on life, who had figured out how to live on the other side of divorce with hope. And so she became the more I spent time and started yielding and paying attention to what God started saying to me, I started getting out of my head because she started pulling me out of it. My mind was all about one way of doing things. She got me to see a different way. So God uses people to pull us out of our heads. Number three, look at verse 8 and 9. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. That would startle me too. I went to bed by myself, and I opened my eyes, and there's somebody holding on to my feet. What is going on? I've had dreams that, like, you know, there's somebody living, right, like, or somebody shows up and, and uh, is, is coming into that. Those are always the weirdest dreams. So I always get up and I start praying, God, I rebuke this in the name of Jesus. Nobody, my, my doors are locked. My windows are locked. Everything's fine. Nobody's watching me in the middle of the night while I sleep. That would freak me out. It startles him. And he says, verse 9, who are you? She answers, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Friends, there's a lot of cultural things going on here. We're going to get into that in just a little bit. But Ruth does every single thing that Naomi says. Hey, take a bath, put on some perfume, get dressed, hit the town, go out. I'm going to go. I'm going to do it. Oh, go here. See uh, Boaz. You know what? It doesn't make sense what she's telling me. Go. Don't be noticed. Wait till he falls asleep. Let him eat. Let him drink. Uh, he goes to bed. Stalk him where he's going to sleep. Watch it. Don't do anything. When he falls asleep, go. Lay down next to him. Do she does all of these things. And then at the very end of it, she says, and he'll tell you what to do. Never in that exchange, in those guidance, in those instructions, does she ever say to Ruth, Ruth, this is what you should say to this man. Never does she give her a single script. She just says, go and do this. He'll speak to you. But here's the reality. God uses people to push us into initiative. See, we, we're broken sometimes in our status. Sometimes we're stuck in our heads. God will use people to pull us out of those things, but then he'll use people to say, all right, go. I've given you the push, and now you take over. You build on the momentum, and you keep moving forward. All of a sudden, now in the midst of that moment, Ruth starts speaking, and she says something that is beautiful. Think about how bad this could have ended up for this woman. Boaz could have woken up, all right, kind of like Big Mama's house. You know, the person comes and knocks on her. She just, you know, knocks him, right? You ever see that movie? It's all right. Don't, don't worry about it. Um, she shows up there. This man wakes up. He could have assumed once he saw her there, she's just another prostitute. This woman is a woman of ill repute. A woman that has loose morals. I thought she was a noble woman, but yet she's here at my bed. 
in the middle of the night. Nobody knows she's here. She's uncovered my feet. How far up the blanket did she uncover? I don't know. But he could have said, this woman is a woman of bad morals. And so he could have rejected her. He could have looked at her and said, you know what? Nobody's around. Nobody knows she's here. Let me have my way with her tonight because I'm feeling good. We got the job done. I'm the boss. Nobody will know. The fields are mine. I can bury the bodies if anybody tries to challenge me. I can take advantage of this woman, and then I will discredit her in public. She ever says, me too. He could have also seen her act as an act of delusion. I'm the rich owner of these fields. I'm the boss. Who does this foreigner who has no family, who is not of our people, who is poor and destitute, who is she to think that she is on my level, that she is worthy of a man like me? There's a lot of things that could have gone wrong in this conversation here. And yet Ruth, after having followed the example and instructions of Naomi to the T, she has enough momentum. She's been pushed to now take over. And she says what is beautiful, spread your wings over me. In another translation, your Bible might say, spread the corner of your cloak over me. What she's saying is this, ladies, listen up. She's, she is saying something that a lot of women are trying to say, especially to those who are married to men who don't believe in the Lord and follow God and go to church. She says, would you be my spiritual covering? See, there's something beautiful about us uh, being able to provide for our families. But you know what? When we are believers and Christians, the Bible tells us that men are the heads of the household and that they are the spiritual covering of the family. You know, it's something incredible to be able to pray. My wife tells this story. God bless you. My wife tells this story. She goes, look, the moment I know I realized that I loved you was when we were dating and I was crying because of a difficult assignment for my college. I had to go out and do surveys in public and ask people to help me for a project, and I was terrified to do it. And you came, and the first thing that you did is you said, can we pray together? And you prayed peace over my heart, and that God would give me the words. And that was the moment that I fell in love with you. There is something about a man who will cover his family spiritually. It's not about just bringing you food on the table and buying you the pocketbooks and having enough or being present in conversation. It is about taking responsibility for the governance of the spiritual health of that home and that family. It's a beautiful thing. You are my redeemer. You are the one that can save us. So let's speed this thing up here and we'll wrap it up. She takes every single thing that Naomi has given her as an act and a symbol. And now Ruth puts words to it by saying, spread your cloak over me. I uncovered your legs. And now I ask you to spread your cloak over me. She just got down on one knees, fella. And she proposed to this man and said, will you marry me? Will you become my redeemer, my covering, my hope and my provider, my protector and my helper? Will you be the one that will come and defend me and take care of me? Will you help me spread? And the thing that he had said to her in the last chapter, may God reward you with the rest that you desire. She is now asking him, will you become the reward that God will give to me? It's a beautiful thing, a beautiful thing. God will use people to pull us out of our status, to pull us out of our heads, to push us out of our broken initiative. But he'll also use people to push us to responsibility. Say responsibility. When she said to Boaz, you are my redeemer, 
She was invoking something. She was calling him to action. She was reminding him of the law that she is brand new to, that Naomi undoubtedly is teaching her. You are responsible as a redeemer. The Hebrew word is the word goel, and it is a word that is spoken of many times here in this book of Ruth. And it talks about the kinsman redeemer, the person that is able to come and change and transform and bring hope and redemption into a home, into a life. A kinsman redeemer would do four things. If you read in Leviticus 25, in Numbers 35, you're going to find out that the kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back relatives that had to go into slavery. See, in the Bible times, if you had a debt that you couldn't pay, you could offer yourself up as a servant, an employee. It's not a slave like we know in America in the blemish of our history. But it's a slave in the sense that, hey, I can't pay you, so I will come and serve your home, your family. I'll work for you for X amount of years so I can pay that debt. Oh, and by the way, if you throw in a bonus, I'll bring my kids with us and we can shave off years off of that debt, whatever. And so they were responsible to buy back family from slavery. They were responsible to avenge blood. If somebody killed and murdered your family member, the kinsman redeemer was responsible to make sure that that perpetrator was brought to justice. The kinsman redeemer was responsible to buy back land. If you got into debt and you had to sell your assets and give it to somebody else so that you could not die and be destitute. The kinsman redeemer would buy back that land. And in a culture where land and ownership, the covenant, the promise is so associated with land, it was very critical. A certain amount of land was given to the tribe of Judah, to the tribe of Reuben, to the tribe of Manasseh. And everyone had their lands and everybody had that and kept it in the family. Why? Because it could trace it back to their heritage. Land was important. So if you lost yours, your redeemer would come and buy it back. But then lastly, the redeemer was responsible to carry on the family name by marrying the widow that had no children. Marrying the widow of her brother, of her family member, who could not produce so that they could come together in a union and then therefore produce in the name of the deceased. So Ruth says to Boaz, you, sir, are my redeemer. You're related somehow to the family. You're not the brother of my husband because he died. You're not the uncle because clearly you says you're going to say here that there is someone else above. So you're not him, but you are related to us. And so, sir, will you please Fulfill your responsibility. God will use people to push us to responsibility. My question is, when God speaks to us and reveals to us the things that we know we should do, will we say yes to the calling, to the purpose, to the responsibility that he gives us? Are you willing to follow through and adhere to the rules? Notice how in the passage, Boaz responds, wow, you have done a kindness to me. This is even more honorable than before. You have not chased young men or other men, rich or poor. You could have chosen anybody. Say anybody. You had your choices, Ruth. The pick of the litter. You, you, could, you could have picked whatever you wanted but you chose me. But let me just tell you, I am a redeemer. I'm not the redeemer. How many times we've got something that's burning in our hearts that we desperately want? We want to get it no matter how we got to get it because we just have to have it. Here's a man who says, you know what? I'm interested. I've been waiting. I've been looking to see if you're going to change your clothes. Come out of that status. You're virtuous, you're noble, you're, you're a woman of good character. I'm attracted to you. You know what? Yes, I am a relative. 
but I got to honor God's law. There's somebody else that's in front of me and has this right. And so I have to present it to him first. But let me just tell you this, Ruth. If he won't redeem you, I'll be right there standing at the altar waiting for you, baby girl. I got you. See, it tells me that the godly can live above culture. The godly can live above our culture. You know what? I just, I just want to date. I just want to be married. I just want to, you know, uh, have this business. I just want to, you know, advance my family. I just need to find whatever it is. And, you know, maybe I got to cut some corners. And God is telling me not do this, don't do that. The godly can live above culture. The godly can say the opposite message that the world is speaking just get yours. Get yours done. Do it. Do it your way. Have it your way, Burger King. No, we can do it God's way. In his order. Because when we do things out of order, they seldomly remain in order. In the long run. I invite you to stand with me. Are you willing to follow through? Here is a woman who receives instruction to do something that makes no sense. She finds herself at the feet of a man. Doesn't this sound familiar? She finds herself at the feet of a man whom she asks, will you redeem me? We're going to get into this in chapter 4, this kinsman redeemer thing even more. So come back next week. But it's very reminding, reminiscent of what Jesus did. That all of us will fall down at his feet. And we come to the feet of his cross. And that we just put ourselves on the line for him. And we look to him and say, Lord, I need redemption for my life. I can't do this on my own. You know what? I think I've got it all squared away. I've got the status and I'm looking for status and I'm trying to change my status, but I've tried to do all of that and I couldn't do it on my own. So now I find myself at your feet. I think I've got the plan and I've made up all my logic and reasoning, but yet God, nothing adds up when I realize that there is no amount of working and no amount of accomplishing that will ever amount to salvation because it's all at your feet. I need to take the initiative and come to you. The responsibility is mine to say yes and amen. To receive you as the one. Here comes this woman who is a foreigner, who is penniless. Here come I, outside of his family, without a single thing to give, without anything to offer resting and requiring his mercy and grace that he would impart on me the redemption that I need. Friends, will you fall at his feet today? Will you let go of that thing that you're holding on to that you got to figure out and accomplish and do? That you're trying to manipulate and change? Will you just come and bring it to the feet of Jesus? That marriage that child, that problem, that pain, this health issue, will you bring it to the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, it's yours. Lord, Lord, I've been disappointed before, but Lord, this time it's not going to be the same thing. This time I'm going to leave it at your feet, God, and you're going to see me through. Spirit, I invite you to speak into hearts. There's some practical realities in this sermon. You can have some fun, Lord God, with all the things of dating and all that. But Father, I pray that you would move in this moment and speak to hearts, Lord God, that people would release before your feet that which is burdening them. Father, I call upon men and women, Lord Jesus,
who will pull and push. Pull and push. Lord, I pray that you would bring them into every life in this place. Lord God, men and women who will pull and push purpose and destiny, hope and life, wisdom and understanding. Father, I pray that you would equip your church here, Lord God, to be pullers and pushers. That, Father, that they would be utilized in your glory and in your kingdom, Lord Jesus, to bring life to those around Because that is what loyal love is. To lead people to a life that's worth celebrating. If there's anyone in this place that you have to say, all right, I need to give Jesus a chance. I've tried pulling and pushing. I've tried caring. I've tried doing all these things in my own, but maybe if I just let him have a chance, maybe I can step out of the status and this pain and this issue that I'm living with. Is there anybody here who needs to say yes to him for the first time? and invite him to be your Lord and your Savior. I want you to just lift up your hands. We're going to put something in your hands. There's people here that you've never said yes to him before. That's your chance. There's those who have said yes, but then they said, you know what, I'll do it on my own. They dropped your hand. They got up from your feet. If that's you, just lift up your hand and say, I'm going to try, I'm going to do it again. I'm going to go back to him today. I'm going to come to the one who can redeem me and change me. If that's you, lift up your hand. It's okay. God wants to meet you in this place. God wants to set you free. It's a beautiful thing if everybody in this place has said yes to him already realize this you're not doing this for me I'm very excited if you say yes no doubt but he is so much more because that means you have life and life eternal for whosoever receives the son receives eternal life whoever believes that Jesus died and rose again and has ascended to the father he is the sinless one sent from God to pay the ransom for our sins redeem us from death and you place your faith in him, you have eternal life. Regardless of what redemption is needed in your current circumstance, you have eternal redemption in him. If that's you, lift up a hand. I'll give you one more moment. This is what I'm going to do, actually. I'm going to invite you, because we're going to change the culture in this place. We say often, this is a private moment, close your eyes, bow your heads. But you know what? It's a celebration in heaven. So you know what? If you feel like I'm compelled, like I need to make this change, I need to say yes to Jesus Christ, then you know, grab your neighbor next to you and come over here and meet me in this altar. I want to pray with you. I want to encourage you. And this church wants to encourage you. If that's you online, say yes in the chat and somebody will connect with you today. Don't leave the same way you came. I'm going to pray and dismiss us. But I invite you as you're thinking of transitioning from here. The altars are open. Prayer is available. Let people come and pull and push in prayer with you. to support each other. Father, I thank you that you are moving in hearts. Go beyond my limited words. Go beyond, Lord Jesus, and reach down into the heart. Father, I pray that there is a release here today and an activation of people to live, to breathe, to do, to will, to walk. purposes that you have for them. 
Father, we cancel every fear and every lie and declare that your grace and your mercy is upon every heart in Jesus' mighty name. Will you lift up your hands with me? May the love of our Father, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, who says, I am the Redeemer. I will go through the grace that God has afforded me. And the empowerment of the Holy Spirit be with each and every one of you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen.